When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Installment of uh, Tales from the Forlorn Dopes. I am your host, Cyber Smiley. I am your co-host, Wisdom, and we are glad to have you guys here today. Greetings, programs. Today we are going to be reviewing Pacific Rim Sourcebook. Yes, uh, we will be. But few things to note. Um, I haven't seen too much. On the media front of um, new television shows or movies or animes coming out around cyberpunk. Um, granted, I haven't <laughs> done too much of digging into it, but uh, it kind of seems like it's sci-fi is light at this time when it comes to releases. Uh, but in other news, yeah. we have a new DLC from uh, Artel Sorian, the dreaded punk knot. And rules on how to it, do it. It's cool. I I like the image from this DLC of the Punk Knot much more than I like the one that appeared in Chromebook One. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the one in Chromebook One just looked like an oversized AB. This looks like something gang members would would build. It's, it's a bus with uh, vector thrust nacelles, and uh, it just looks much more like. The way it's described. Yeah, and I, I can see future installments adding more uh, options to this thing. Um, yeah. Like, I imagine eventually we'll get, like, a full, like, vehicle customization type source book. Something along the lines of Max Metal. Probably, maybe not a full source book, but at least, like, a full DLC. We have a Sirenscape raid. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our party. Appreciate you joining us. Um, for those who are new to the uh, Tales for the Foreign Loan Dopes, uh, Wisdom and I, Cyber Smiley, are just here to uh, banter on about cyberpunk uh, from the good old days and some of this new stuff, like the DLC we're talking about. That uh, our All Saran. from a tabletop gamer's perspective mostly about cyberpunk 2020 but also some red and some cyber generation thrown in for good measure yep 
so. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the, the DLC is kind of short and concise, um, but it's definitely a nice, fun starting point to uh, get the ball rolling. Yeah, because in in like yep. Chrome One, you really it really didn't give you too much details on like what, how to even construct it. And this was even before the the vehicle rules, really. Were yeah, I mean, it was back in the, the twenty thirteen days, like uh, before twenty twenty. Um, so it's nice that this finally this idea that a lot of people have tried to run with in the past uh, finally gets an update and. You can uh, pick it up free at the Artalsorian website. Um, so, yeah, by all means, go do that. Yeah. It's um, one of the more quality installments of the free red DLCs. Most definitely. So, uh, I think the only other thing in, like, from cyberpunk thing is i actually ran my second red game um last yeah week. how'd that go on um i think overall it kind of went well uh the scenario i was running was the digital divas from the data pack uh which i will be running at gen con <clears throat> the one the one thing that was hard was there there wasn't a lot within it I think I, I probably required a little more role-playing, a little more uh, ad-libbing um, to stretch it out to be the amount of time I need it to. But the, the thing with that particular scenario, right, and, and the, the scenarios within uh, the data pack, if you don't know, basically they're one-page scenarios. So you have a screen sheet on one side, similar to, to how... Uh, Cyberpunk 2020 main book had the uh, scenarios and I think throughout most of the products where you have a screen sheet on one side and the adventure on the other. Um, the only critique I have of that is I really think there should have been, especially for a, for a new DM or a new referee, they should have given a little more detail and a little more structure on how to run it. Um, granted, you know, yeah, but I mean, Talsorian's notorious for that. Like, there, I if it's not a published adventure, usually what they've got going is just basic premises of what an adventure could like revolve around, as opposed to like an actual scenario. Yeah, so that was the only kind of limitation that uh, I had with it. Um... But overall, I think it went well. Um, you know, I had... Well, that's good. I had Plus, my... it gives you a little bit of practice for Gen Con, so... Yeah, and I had uh, my tech character, who is... The player always likes to be and kind of <laughs> set himself up to be kind of a, a sniper type of person. So, apparently, the tech wanted to be the sniper. Yeah, some some players just have their types. Like pulling teeth trying to get them to break break free and try something new, but then again, they also usually have those types pretty well fleshed out, so they're pretty effective at what they do, hopefully. Yep. 
Yeah, other than that, I uh, don't have too much else to talk about when it comes to news and cyberpunk. Um, yeah, the only thing I can say is uh, Megan finally got released on streaming services, so if you haven't seen that, it's, it's worth a look. Have you uh, watched it? Uh, I have. I, I enjoyed it. Oh. Yeah, I was. I saw it. I just didn't know if it was going to be like another Chucky. Well, I mean, at least it's 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 got the cyberpunk aspects down. I mean, she's a little she's a little AI full conversion. Well, not any kind of conversion, but robot. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of like Chucky meets the Terminator, which is kind of a terrifying premise. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I'll check that out and we can talk about it. Get some views on the ideas on how to create a, a game around it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> the last thing I want to say is uh, Gen Con is uh, coming out in less than a month. So, for those of you who don't know, I will be attending this year. Uh, I haven't attended probably in about 20 years back when it was uh, in Milwaukee so I'm going to have fun I'm going to be running games for Altar Saran uh, so jealousy so I'll be walking about the halls um, either I'll have the uh, Tal Saran shirt on when I'm running games or I'm having some of my own uh, logo being printed up on t-shirts so if you see some guy with uh, the Cyber nice. Smiley logo that some probably smi- some Cyber Smiley merchandise. I wonder how many people are going to get coming up to you and saying, you know, there's an E in Smiley. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and there's an X in Dyslexia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, or I should say there's a Q in Dyslexia. Um... So, Overmeister, um, so you're looking for some ideas or recommend how to do a new campaign for new players? Um, so I wouldn't necessarily, if they are new players and new to, uh, Cyberpunk, I wouldn't start off necessarily with a campaign. Give us some context here. Are they new to this? Are they new to playing in general, or are they just new to cyberpunk? And uh, which which cyberpunk are you gonna be running? Twenty twenty or red or one of the other variations? Yeah. Uh, as for like the game itself, my advice would be steal liberally. Uh, watch some old noir films, steal plots from there. Uh, grab characters from. Uh, you know, wherever movie, film, or movie, anime, comics, um, books, whatever. If you, if you like something, change it just a little bit and then make it your own. Um, like I wouldn't suggest stealing like entire, like the movie's entire plot, although I've been guilty of that in the past. But uh, yeah, um, if you if you if you find a basic premise that you really dig, you have 
you have the tools to work with until you get comfortable enough to create your own scenario. Yep. And my suggestion for any new players and new referees is really go with a published scenario first, uh, just because those are a good basis to understand pace. I agree that not all published uh, scenarios are, are great, but they at least give you kind of a, a ground floor on what to do. Um, there are four, two of them played D&D before, but ah, the other two so will play for. Half of them are new to gaming altogether. Half of them are new to anything that's not Dungeons and Dragons. Um, all right, running it on red. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to things like character generation, uh, for first characters, my advice is always going to be keep it simple. Uh, limit any gear and all that to the main book. Like, don't give starting out players who've never who have no idea what the system is. Uh, like don't give them the Chromebooks or anything like that. Um, keep it simple. Uh, make sure everybody's on the same page. Like be as the GM, you want to be involved in character creation. Um, that way you can make sure that everybody, no one's showing up with like some ridiculous concept that doesn't fit in with anything else that yeah uh, have the basic premise of what you're going to do and then gear the characters or kind of towards that and and if at least start out if they're new players and and keep that in mind is i would not i mean you can think about creating a campaign and starting a campaign but my especially if you if you've got new players to cyberpunk one thing you don't want to invest in is actually creating a campaign immediately because they might not like the system, right? They, they might prefer D and D. Um, if they are new to the whole, uh, world of gaming, you know, their initial characters might not, they might think it's interesting in the beginning, but once they learn the system and the rules, they might want to create a new character and they don't want to be stuck with this, you know, basically a throwaway character, right? So I would just make sure to just do a one shot uh, to start, uh, whether you use yeah. a, a published scenario or come up with something quick and on the fly. But I would not start a campaign with those characters just because uh, I have a feeling, you know, like I said, some people might not like the game system. Some people do. I prefer people to do, but, you know, uh, but well, you also I mean, wanna... regardless, it's like I said, keep it simple. Uh, and like he said, yeah, just run something simple to begin with. Let them get used to what the the idea of what an RPG is and the specific rules of this one uh, without becoming too invested in those characters. Yeah, Volps, uh, Vox, I agree with you on uh, doing pre-gens. Um, yeah, there's nothing wrong option. with that for like, especially as a as as new players, n new game. 
you creating the characters and then having them like just blindly pick which one they get, that's a bonus. That that saves a lot of work for everybody. Uh, the only downside to it, especially if you're just going to run a one-shot or something short to begin with, the only downside to that is like sometimes making up the characters helps them understand the rules better. But it's 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 a give and take because it also gets frustrating because making characters is a is a fairly complex undertaking. Yep. And, and lucky with Red, you have the three different layers of how to create characters. Um, when I like like I've mentioned on on the podcast how I've just ran two different adventures um, because I would be running them at Gen Con for my uh, twenty twenty group. You know, I had them use the street rat um, level, which is basically the the basic version of you roll 1d10, those are your stats, it goes across the board, assigns them, it tells you exactly what skills they get. There's not too much choice in the matter um, from their end, but it's a quick way of getting the characters done and and quickly evolving, right? Uh, Whereas... Once they go through that small process of creating a very simple character, then they can get into the complex characters. <clears throat> hope that helps. Um, <laughs> Popping Tonic asks, uh, he loves horror films and thought of starting a horror-themed campaign. Any story beats from the lore? Beats? Is that beats or beats? Beats. From the lore that would make a fun encounter. Uh... I mean, there's lots of stuff in the lore that that would tie in well to a horror-themed campaign. Um, you're not going to find like there's no supernatural a- aspects to the to the core game, but uh, there are plenty of like. Cr- I mean, the cyber psychosis alone is 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 ripe with potential for horror story. Um, there's corporations doing all kinds of crazy experiments. Uh, there are rules for adding like cybernetics to animals and shit. So you could have something crazy lurking in the shadows. Uh, I mean, it, it all depends on what flavor of horror you're going for. Uh, if you're going for a more psychological horror, I mean, yeah, yeah, there's, there's plenty of horrific things happening that, you know, you can throw at your players. Uh, my advice would be to keep, if, if you're going to add horror or uh, anything that you're going to hint might be, you know, beyond the norm. Uh, keep, keep things vague until you're actually ready for the big reveal. Uh, I find horror works best when the players don't actually know what they're up against. The same with horror movies. Like it's always scarier before you see the monster than after you see the monster. Unless we're talking about the thing, and that's its own, its own film. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing is, you know, what kind of horror? Are you just looking for psychological horror, right? Um, technology going to the extreme type of horror. So, so there's that versus the supernatural, right? Um, or you could have like, like 
slasher type horror. I, I ran a game based around a serial killer that the players were trying to track down. Or there's just like scenario based horror where like the characters just come across something that is terrifying. It may not and just blows their expectations of, of what they're expecting from the game. Like, uh, I ran an adventure where the characters were having to go into the ruins of Chicago and go up into Sears Tower, and they were coming across all these little fetishes uh, as they were moving down from the top of the building, um, made out of, like, wire and shit like that. And just these little little bitty things and they were hearing noises and shit like that uh kind of like, like a blair witch and a skyscraper yeah kind of like a blair witch and uh, a blair witch skyscraper that's exactly what it was and uh i'm not going to go into too much detail but yeah like um not to brag but i had one of the character one of the players get so freaked out by it that uh like we had to stop running for like half an hour so he could collect himself um yeah that's you can definitely run horror with cyberpunk and uh it's not even that out of place yeah even secret cabals um doing nefarious things uh is also uh very cyberpunk um and especially with like uh, you know the, the biotech technology and nanites and the creation of just bizarre creatures, you can get to the point of Resident Evil type of stuff. Um, I mean, it, it all depends on is this going to be a long running campaign that is not typically going to be based on horror, but you're just wanting to like have a good horror session. You don't want to get too far away from the core of, you know, what's expected in the cyberpunk universe. Because um, you're setting the scene for your own game at this point. And, like, if it starts out as a horror game, players are going to kind of expect it to continue in that direction. Just just to throw that out. Yep. And thanks for all the questions, guys. I mean, it's yeah. nice to get some feedback. Um Yeah, I mean, so, uh, Oher Meister, yes, y you know, you're not wrong. <laughs> There's no wrong way of playing um, as long as you're having fun and their players are having fun. It's just how quick you can get the players involved. And if you're guiding them and, and pushing them to create certain characters to fit your story, there's no, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I know there's a, a movement within the system that it should be a sandbox. Um, but I'm a firm believer that you can't do sandbox, especially for a, a GM-led game or any game system, because doing a sandbox really, A, you have to have a GM who is good at ad-libbing. Not a lot of GM, GMs are proficient at it or doing improv so it has to fit your style and you have to make sure that whatever you create from a story point of view that the players 
don't go completely off the rails. And, and granted, there's techniques you can do as a GM to kind of push the players into one direction um, through world uh, pressures as opposed to you telling the players, no, you have to do this scenario, right? Either you... Yeah, you never want to straight railroad the players, but you can you can hide those tracks fairly well and, yep. and keep them in, in mind. So was it carrot or stick? So that's the way to do it. Either the characters are <laughs> going to uh, be enticed by a reward into going into a scenario that you want done, or they get pressured by outsourced forces with a stick and beats them into doing that task for them, whether it's a corporation who's <clears throat> kidnapped them and implanted or, some uh, some uh, malicious cyberware in which they have to do it. The the mission that you want done. Um, there there's a lot of techniques, at least in this story, that you can kind of force the players into doing certain things. Now, granted, the, I mean, and sometimes you'll just have like the perfect mix of GM and player. And, like, their natural curiosity will lead them in. You don't have to beat them or, or entice them. You'll just throw up something, something that catches their eye, and they'll just be all in for that. And you never can tell if that's going to happen until it happens. Yep. All right. Um, yeah, so do you want to start getting into uh, Pack Rim? All right. Yeah, let's let's get right into Pack Rim. Let's, uh... This came out in 1994 and uh, is the Asian source book. Uh, the entirety of the Pack Rim, like all the way down to Australia. Hmm. Um, but it mostly focuses on... on like greater Asia itself, Southeast. particularly Japan. Well, China, it's Southeast Asia, right? Because it doesn't include uh, India or Russia or any of the Persian it's countries. It's weird that it doesn't include that it doesn't really go into India because you'd think it would. Uh, but yeah, uh, and you know we we've had we had a uh, Derek Quintanar on a, a couple of weeks ago. And even he said that they wish they could have gone more in depth with the book, but I mean, there's only so much you can throw. Uh, and all the all the writers for this book were all none of them were in-house writers. Yep. Uh, so there is you kind of notice it. There is there is kind of a uh, I'm not going to say obvious, but it is there. You notice that it's not written by the same in-house authors as most of the other books well i think uh, for a lot of the regional books well not a lot but this one in rough guide to the uk kind of were yeah. created by people from those countries um or those regions and said hey here's this source book and presented it to alter which i found fascinating when talking to derek about it um and how these two particular supplements came about 
Yeah. Um, so the cover is uh, by a guy named Patrick Godaro, Uh and it's just of a of an oni mask surrounded by some like neon dragon like neon sign dragons. Uh, you, I definitely when I saw the image for Samurai the the oni face mask, uh, it definitely felt like they pulled some inspiration from this from this image. Um, so that's a that's a nice little little Easter egg. Uh, the writers, the main writer is a guy named Chris Pasquaret. Uh, Pasquaret, I'm not really sure how I'm supposed to, supposed to pronounce that. Uh, who handles the America and Japan uh, influence? Uh, then we got Paul Duncanson, and what's listed as Far East Amusement Research Company Limited out of Japan. Uh, who's and the people under that uh, imprint apparently are Nobuaki Takarube, Tateno Sueno, uh, Tano Akira, Yoshi Miyako, Miyako Yamamoto Tsuyoshi, uh, Suzufuki Tero, Nakajima Sonami, and Yusaki Teruaki. Uh, these are the writing credits, and then you've got a whole bunch of like research, research. assistants that are listed. Um, the uh, illustrations, the um, like the art direction and layout, those are uh, Mark Schumann, Benjamin Wright, David Ackerman, Chris Williams, old hands, like familiar faces here. Um, I'm sorry, the cover is by Mike Ebert. The back cover is by Patrick Guitaro. Uh And the colorization for it's Mark Hume. Uh, interior illustrations are Robert Chang, Mike Jackson, who is one of my favorite artists in the whole line, uh, and Ben Miller. And then we've got Derek Quintanar and Chris Pasquet editing. Well, Derek edits everything in the line, so... Yes, he did. Uh, and when reading this, uh, keep in mind this is you know I think there's some things that as I read reread this book, uh, some things were not really spot on. Other things were eh, close. Um, but the one thing I did notice was you know all the writers are from their names. My assumption is they're they're all Japanese, because um, I did not see necessarily anything that was well other than uh, Chris Pasquet and Paul Duncanson. Yes. So, keep in mind that this is mostly a, an Australian yeah. and Japanese point of view of Southeast Asia. It's it's. It, it, it adheres to the cyberpunk 2020 uh, 90s view that, you know, Japan is going to be the big influence in the world. And uh, so just expect that uh, and you won't be disappointed or surprised. Yep. Uh, one other good thing about this book is in the beginning, they actually list out uh, recommended recommendations of what novels you can uh, read 
as well as some comics. So, Isles in the, in the Net, Akira, Sanctuary. I never read that. Chimera. It's fantastic. Ryoiki uh, Aikigami is the guy's name. Same artist who did uh, Brian Freeman. Yeah, i got to check out some of these other ones. Scissors, cut paper, wrap stone. Sounds interesting. Yeah, I don't. I don't I've never read that. Uh, their movie recommendations are, are pretty good. It's weird that they list eighty police, but not Bubblegum Crisis. Just, just kind of weird. <laughs> um, but everything else you expect to be there is there. I think it's funny that they put in Kickboxer. I mean, they put in Kickboxer. They put that in because of the the Thailand angle. I get that. I don't get why Mad Max is necessarily there. Well, I Australia, get it's Australian, but it's not really the Australia they kind of they put forth in the books. I guess. True. I don't know. Um. But yeah, it's it's a pretty good recommendation list. Like I, I would recommend, with the exception of scissors, cut paper, wrap stone, I would recommend all the rest. Of uh, and the only reason I don't recommend that is because I've never read it. Uh, the whole book is laid out like a travel guide. Um, with a fairly short introduction, introductionary, uh, introducery, uh, section. It's about four pages. Uh, and then it jumps straight to Japan. Yep. Um, I, I think which... the introduction, the funny thing out weird, or maybe it's not weird is that they point out about driving, you know, like this would be a concern. Um, yeah. End game. But it's funny. So, yes, Japan. Well, before we get to there, I would like to point out uh, something really nice that I think they did is they actually, in the introduction, they actually throw out like an exchange rate uh, for the various countries. And I thought. I thought that was good. You don't, you don't, you don't see that a lot in uh, in some of the other books. Even though it really would have helped, like Eurosource, that really would have helped. Well, it depends on your playing style, right? If if you want to get into the nitty gritties, you know, yes, that's nice. Um, I know how much you love crunch, <laughs> but when well, running the game, sometimes I mean, you, you know, kind of want to know what my my EB will will go cover. True. Yeah, and it does give you kind of uh, ballpark prices of certain things um, and how they are in the countries and how they vary in the countries. Um, but yeah. And, and they also have a chart for from wild side for the culture 
on if the culture is same or similar or alien, different. So you can actually use that to give your fixer some difficulty uh, to any of their roles. Yeah. Or just, you know, your straight general language differences. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's these details that make the game overall a better experience. So, Japan. Um, the section in Japan basically goes through kind of a, a more detailed history leading up to 2020. Yeah, it is by far the biggest section in the book as far as like country descriptions, regional descriptions. Like Japan gets the, the big chunk. Japan, Korea, and China make up a good two-thirds of the book or at least a third of the book another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Yep. And, of course, it gets into the politics of the country, uh, the various ministries that do exist, uh, kind of how broken the whole system is, at least at the time of 2020. Um, and then it goes into a nice concept, which I think some Western people don't know about Japan, is the tatame and the hone. Uh, there's two aspects to the culture, right? Which is how you present yourself, and then the hone, which is the true self, or, or the ugly truth. Uh, which I kind of like, because it made me want to learn a little bit more about the, the Japanese culture when it came to things like this and understanding it. Cause I've always been kind of a, a Japanese fan from like, you know, watching old samurai movies, but yeah, seeing the aspect of the modern society. And actually this book is kind of got me interested into the whole Southeast uh, cultures that existed um, and trying I mean, to understand them. Looking at it through today's eyes, some of it might seem uh, a little dated, but in the 90s, pretty much most of the West, especially America, um, basically our understanding of Japan was, you know, Samurai films and war movies. That was really what most of us had. Like, anime was still underground at the time. Yep. Um, there was obviously no such thing as streaming service. Like, most of, uh, most of America had very little exposure to Japanese culture. 
uh, or Asian culture of any kind, really. Um, we were still very xenophobic. Uh, and, I mean, to put it bluntly, fairly racist. I mean... <laughs> uh, really? America's not racist anymore? Wow. Well, well, we'll not get into that. I just that. remember <laughs> uh, in high school we had uh, some Vietnamese kids, and they were just treated horribly. Um because everybody wanted to blame them for the Vietnam War. Just like there were still people who wanted to, you know, blame every Japanese person for World War II. Or the Germans. This five, uh, this 15-year-old didn't have anything to do with that. So. Yep. Anyway. Uh, I digress. Uh, but yeah, it gets into the politics. It gets into uh, daily life. Um. It gets really into, you know, Japanese corporate culture, uh, especially like the Zaibatsu uh, concept. Um, I think. Pardon me. It uh, it gives you a little bit further detail on some of the some of the corporations that get mentioned in the other books, but didn't have their own write ups and they're given it's done in the same kind of format presented in the same format as, uh, as was given to us in the corporate report books. So it all kind of flows nicely and, and is uniform in that. Yeah. The one thing I do like about um, Pacific Rim is it does introduce quite a few of the corporations from the various countries uh, just to yeah. add in more flavor into your campaign. Um, if you want to introduce a corporation that's not well known, um, but yeah, I, I like the the article on uh, Zabatsis, um, and how they actually work, and how they're not technically a monopoly. Yeah, no, uh, it's. It's it definitely tries to explain how how the corporate culture uh, in Asia differs from that in America, and it's it's funny how you know thirty years later how much of that culture was exported to the West uh, in terms of you know. Walmart employees like do a do a Walmart cheer before work and they have exercises uh, that 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 was all straight from Asian corporate culture. Yep. And of course, now uh, in Japan, there's, there's actually a big because they still do that. Uh, and there's still some uh, old guard. Who, who believe in that and I think the yeah. new generation is starting to realize that eh, <laughs> there's there's something more out there than uh, than how the structure is because I think they realize that with the the collapse of their economy um, but it's funny that you know even Japan today still uses fax machines. So, 
Chrome 2 with the portable fax machine. It's still viable. Still viable. Um, after the corporate section, it starts talking about Japan's self-defense forces and how, like, the Japanese SDF is now, like, the most feared military force in Asia, uh, which is kind of weird to me. Um, well, if you think about it... I get where they're... You know, Arisaka. I get where they're going with <laughs> is japan sure so the the technology but i mean again it's a very 90s thing uh we didn't in in the 90s we didn't take china as a serious threat yeah we didn't take north korea as a serious threat um so it's like i said the, it, it's a little dated it I get what they were going for because they want to make Arasaka and uh, follow through with some of the cyberpunk's uh, Japanese-centric creating itself as a corporate power, corporate dominating force. Uh, I, I get all that, but yeah, looking looking back, it, it seems a little short-sighted. Yep. Well, it, I mean, if you're going by cyberpunk history, right? And yeah, in, in the in the world of cyberpunk 2020, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, like it's there. That's what it is, and it's going to match. I was just commenting on it from a real world perspective. Uh, and the, you know, to be honest, the SDF is is pretty badass. Uh, they still are only tasked with. Uh, like defense of Japan, like they can't, they can't feel the military outside of their own borders. Uh, although they're definitely trying to circumnavigate that within the lore. Yeah. Um, and then it gets into the police department, uh, which compared to the states is fairly lacking from a, an equipment point of view or even uh, what kind of authority it is. But then again, I think the culture is is dramatically different uh, in Japan than America. Uh, even in 2020, yeah, I think it would... Yeah, I mean, it, it follows through with, you know, what was expected at the time, and it's still this way now. Like, civilian guns in civilian hands are unheard of like, like only like the most powerful and well-connected uh yakuza can get a hold of firearms um so police like having more uh, police having more than a nine millimeter is just it's not necessary it's it's even that is considered overkill in many situations um, so it's a very different vibe for your cyberpunk campaign. There's going to be a lot more, a lot more hand to hand and melee combat than there will be like blazing shoot 'em ups, especially at low level. Yep. And the police in the police in the source book certainly reflect. Plus, Japan, like, even in this book, 
you know, there there is a draconic or draconian uh, weapon control laws, uh, which basically, you know, you don't want to have anything illegal weapons. And it's because some of the stuff I've been reading about Japan when it comes to their gun controls and and how they use guns uh, or their their understanding viewpoint of guns, right? So they have toy guns that look exactly like the real thing. Yeah, they, I mean, they have they have gun models, and they're the ones who like spearheaded the whole airsoft uh, movement. Like, all the best airsoft comes from Japan. Yep. To the point where the Yakuza will u- rather use the toy guns because if they do get caught, they don't want to be thrown it, in jail for, you know, the more extended amount of time uh, by yeah. possessing a real one. Now, all that being said, like, Japan does have their own C-SWAT and heavy armor units, and they're suitably badass. They get, they're supplied by Arasaka, and they're given, you know, the best of the best toys. But you have to do some serious shit to get them called out on you. Yep. Also, so following the police section, they actually get into Gears gear, uh, which you can buy. Mm-hmm. The one thing I liked, which I haven't seen this published in Wildside or anywhere else, the availability checks uh, yeah. and the difficulty level for, for Streetwise to, to gain a, a weapon based upon their availability. Now, of course, Japan being more restricted, you know, the numbers are pretty high. Uh, However, how it would translate into uh, European countries or anywhere else outside of Japan, I would have liked to have seen that printed in the books. Um, Because I know the base book had that chart. But they really didn't go into the game mechanics behind it, you know. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't detailed as to what makes something like the the twenty twenty as as rules as written book doesn't really differentiate between buying a handgun and buying a grenade launcher. They just say, okay, this one's a little bit more rare, but they don't go into why it might be rare or what the what the consequences of getting caught with it are. Right. They kind of leave that up to the GM. But it would have been nice to have some kind of guideline uh, for those those situations. Right. Like, rare would be you can't buy that. You have to buy it on the street. Okay, so uh-huh. what does that mean, buying it on the street? <laughs> um and, and I don't think a lot of GMs really look, when they look at the weapons, really take a look at the availability checks and also modify the price based on the availability. Because <clears throat> my assumption right. is the prices are for retail, not for black market. And if it's a rare exactly. item, you know. If it's military grade stuff, yeah, you're going to be in, you're going to end up paying 
three to five times the price is listed or 10 to 20 <laughs> you know yeah yeah so that kind of system you're I not getting a railgun discount yeah that kind of system i would have liked to have seen in, in wild side they kind of did it a little with the, with the haggling system but or, or even talking about the black market a little uh i think shadow run actually did a pretty concise job on <clears throat> pretty much labeling what are black market stuff or what are illegal contraband versus normal stuff because i think holy shit folks. Did, did cyber smiley just praise something shadow yeah, run yeah, oh I my know. shit up. it's a <laughs> mark this day on your calendars people <laughs> yeah well they borrowed it from BattleTech because it's all fascinating <laughs> <clears throat> but and, yeah I agree. yeah and even even the mundane stuff from the equipment you know i mean they list the b and e gear should that be controlled can you pick it up in any generic store um or even like the cyber weaponry right they talk about the black market stuff but they really don't specify which items are black market versus those that are, or you can. I mean, I get that. that they're trying to leave that leave that up to individual GMs and stuff. Uh, again, I, I wish they'd given more of a guideline. Hmm. I but, mean, in in my world, some of that stuff is purely black market. You're not going to get an automatic lockpick at at the local outlet. You're not going to get. Um, you're not going to be able to go down to your neighborhood clinic and pick up you know some illegal like a pop-up grenade launcher in your arm like they're not gonna fucking install are you, yeah. are you mad so that's the one thing i like about this book uh not this book there's a lot of things i like about this book but one thing that really yeah. i think is hidden in the pages is that availability check and granted, you as a GM can go in and look at it, review it, and be like, okay, the, here's what I would change it for buying stuff in Night City, right? Because it kind of gives you a little bit of a ballpark on difficulty levels as well as what you should expect to pay. <clears throat> um, then it gets into the gangs of Japan. Um of course it just talks. just like the gangs in in you know night city the gangs in this book are even just the types of gangs are strongly influenced by like anime and japanese pop culture i mean the the uh the bosozuku zoku bosozoku yep are obviously like the main gang presence in japan um but it also talks about like <laughs> like teamster or teamer gangs uh which are uh basically just like vehicle street punks uh versions of the bosozoku uh and posers i mean this one is almost prescient because uh even in the '90s, I like I don't think cosplay was anywhere near as big as it is today. And the idea of 
uh, in the 2020 verse, like cosplay gangs, especially in Japan, just makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even back then, you had the dudes who were like, like the Japanese street gangs who were all like 50s American greaser fashion and, and stuff like that. Yep. There's actually a. Um... I forget if it was on Netflix or, or Prime, but there was a, a, a documentary on the uh, Bosozuko gangs uh, of Japan. And right now they're pretty much dying out, but they talk about how, how they worked and who they were. Um, it was very interesting to watch. So if you ever decide to create one there is a a documentary about it about the specific gangs that you can actually watch and learn a little bit they're very colorful and the idea the name translates to speed tribes which is one of the cooler descriptions of of street gang i've ever heard speed that just is you've also got grapplers which are your basic basic high school martial arts gangs, high school and beyond. Um, again, strongly influenced by you know Japanese pop culture at the time. Uh, you've got um, honestly, you you've got chambaras, which are based on you know like myths and legends of Japan. I really think this should be like probably included under the posers. Uh, but they're kind of like a weird mix between the posers and the grapplers as these guys are dressing like samurai and, and uh, like kabuki characters and, and other, you know, historical figures. Um, and the metal maxes, which are about as close to like a booster gang as you're going to get in Except they like fancy themselves as like robot anime and whatnot. Yep. So again, it, it's heavily mixed with the cosplay aspect. As suddenly you turn a corner, and there's like a gang of Power Rangers facing off against a, a gang of like Ultraman or you know Gundams or whatever. Yeah, and then there's uh, a talk about the style of Japan, uh, at least in the 2020s, which is a fun article to read because of the grammar it uses, I would say. I <laughs> don't know how That's to one way put, to put it. That. Yeah. Um, it uses a lot of numbers and letters and kind of condenses words. Uh Basically, I think it's it's written in the point of view of the author who uh, Michan, who is the editor of the Genki Gal magazine. So yeah, it's very uh, it's very '90s Japan slang centric, or at least you know what we were seeing coming uh, coming out of Japan at the time. Yep. Um,
it, it's an interesting read. It's again very dated. Uh, they talk about like, all right, I'm going to say this. And you have to understand, it was the 90s before it became obnoxious. But like <laughs> Kawhi culture, uh, you know, you know, just cute girls running around in underwear and weird outfits. And, Isn't that uh, still kind of this a thing? Like, sure, like it always will be because it's just it's like Valley Girl culture. Yeah. It doesn't die; it just continues forever. No, I don't think. Well. Uh, it evolves. Valley Girls have evolved. Yeah, it evolves. Um, they talk about the androgynous culture, which was pretty alien to uh, Western audiences. Um, even in the 90s, uh, like outside of Asia, it just wasn't really something people were... Uh, it, it was a new concept out, uh, in most of the West. Um, in the nineties, are you are you talking about yeah. the hair bands? No, no, you, you cannot about... tell me hair bands were not androgynous. I mean, I guess to some extent, uh, I I'd consider them closer to crossdressers than androgynous. Like they weren't going. Uh, that's a hard argument to make. I guess very hard <laughs> but uh like the look of the androgynous culture in japan uh was and remains very different to the androgynous culture in the west i agree with that like yes uh, twisted sister twisted sister to get to another <laughs> level but yeah the fashion aspect continues in that in that vein. Uh, overall, um, I think they they left some areas out. Like they definitely left out <clears throat> like standard corporate culture fashion. Uh, I guess they felt they didn't need to because everybody knows what a suit looks like. But it would have been nice to get a little bit of cup. Uh, coverage or um, just like the rebellious youth uh, whatever or, but after the fashion section go ahead or eat like from from the fashion style even today Japan has a very a, a dichotomy between the old and the new right so mm -hmm. so there is still that history of you know medieval japan and, and the style that that had and how it's still embraced um even by the modern uh society <laughs> and just seeing that whole old versus new when you're walking down the streets of any of the big cities of japan that it still exists today and would exist in, in 2020, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's very much a product of its time, and a lot of it, a lot of it is prescient, a lot of it is dated, and it's, 
it's it's kind of interesting to see it, it's like a, a time capsule really mm-hmm. uh, a futurist time capsule um, but then again that can really describe the entirety of And then um... that's the problem with writing about the day after tomorrow is when you get to that point, when you get to tomorrow, when you get to tomorrow, it's like, well, there we go. Yeah. So then the next section breaks down into the various cities, uh, whereas Tokyo gets the glory of it uh, and fleshing it out, you know, as, as, as big as the Tokyo section is, I honestly would have preferred like a Tokyo source. Yeah. Like all on its own, because it's a huge, ridiculously <laughs> densely populated city. Uh, and and so many aspects, uh, so many pieces of cyberpunk culture and media were set in Tokyo, be it Neo Tokyo of Akira, Mega Tokyo of Bubblegum Crisis. Like, it, it, it was such a huge part uh, that I really would have liked to have seen its own source book. Yes. Um, they, they try to break it down, but what they have is good, don't get me wrong. But in the end, I would have liked to have seen much more. Yeah, and I think Altar Surian, when it comes to like the various source books, they seemed a little more tame and, and pumping out material. Uh, granted, it was you know three to four per year, which is fantastic. But then you had things like <clears throat> you know Vampire the Masquerade, who you know, I think had a source book for almost every major city in the United States, as well as some outside of the States. Yeah, I mean, if Vampire didn't do it, Werewolf did. Yeah. It just, all the same system. Uh, so it, it's kind of yeah. hard to, to, as from a game, yes, it would be nice to see it, but then again, could they do it? And, and which would you rather have, a, a, a techie source book or a Tokyo source book? I mean, seeing as how we didn't get either, yeah, that's kind of a mean punch to pull there. <laughs> well, it would be nice to hear from um, or, or see, at least from Red, uh, the the community within Japan do exactly what they did with this was, you know, give us an update of yeah, what that would Southeast be nice. Asia, Asia's looking at and also create content specifically around, you know, hey, th- these are things we're still willing to flesh out. Now, of course, they would have to work with Alter Sorian or they could do, you know, the free model, which uh, not a lot of people do. <laughs> Except us, crazy. True enough. Crazy cats. Um, obviously, like we said, Tokyo gets the largest section. Um, they it gets a couple of pages worth. 
the rest of the cities that they cover basically get a paragraph. Yeah. Uh, and there's Osaka, Kobe, Kyoto. Uh, there's they don't they don't go into a whole lot of detail on any of them, and uh, and they only do a few country a uh, few. Uh, districts in Japan. So there was a lot that they could have I would have liked to have seen a lot more, but again the book is cramming in what they can. I get yep. that. <clears throat> so um next session they talk or give a little blurb about the various roles and, and kind of uh, an understanding of exactly what those roles play within. And it seems like it does Japan and Korea in this section, even though Korea has its own chapter. <clears throat> yeah. Saving a little time and space. Um, so it gives you kind of like a, a couple ideas on how to present those roles within the culture. Uh, it also has uh, a one page of slang and vocab that you can use. Um, I I like the roles section, especially the solo, because uh, I mean cyberpunk takes ninjas seriously, and I don't know that definitely appealed to me back in the '90s, and it still appeals to me today. Yep. Uh, but the yeah, the slang <laughs> section is good. Um, I remember for a couple of years, I I, I used it a lot. Uh, I would also, of course, mix it in with the slang from the other twenty twenty books. Um, I used it basically until uh, a Japanese friend, like you know, you're saying all that shit wrong. Yep. Um, yeah, and at that point, I, I shut my nerd ass up. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised they didn't put Gomi in here. Trash. I mean, yeah, they they went with what they could. Uh, it's yeah. but yeah, it's a it's a good list. Not only do they have general slang. But they've got Yakuza specific slang, which which I, I kind of enjoyed seeing. Um, for those who who don't know, like in like after World War II, I would say starting about the fifties, uh, but really getting heavy in the seventies and eighties. There were uh, there were basically three types of Japanese cinema, at least that were you know, getting any kind of exposure anywhere. There was there was your monster movie kaiju cinema with, you know, Godzilla and Gamera and, and things of that nature and your Ultramans. There were your your samurai, you know, epics. And then there was gangster films. And if you've never seen like a seventies or eighties gang Japanese gangster film, um, you are missing out. They they were brutal in a way that nothing else at the time was. Uh, I've never seen horribly, films horribly, horribly Japanese. 
oh my god, they're so good. But at the they, I will warn you all that they're incredibly misogynistic. Uh, I'm not going to go into detail about why I'm saying this. If you've seen these movies, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, so be warned about that. Like if that's if that kind of time capsule is going to bother you, don't watch them. But if you just really dig gangster movies, they're super badass. Oh, damn. What? So I watched a recent one. I forget the actor's name. He was in um, Johnny Mnemonic. He's a oh, uh, beat, uh, beat Takeshi. Yes. Yeah, he did a lot of these movies. Yeah, he did a recent one in which he was like a, an ex-con. Takeshi Kitan. It was, was it Menace? Something like that. Which was uh... pretty good. I'll, I'll figure it out. Sounds <laughs> familiar. Yeah, um... I don't want to sidetrack too much, but yeah. Some of those movies are, are pretty good, at least from understanding the Yakuza point of view. So if you want to get your... Even in Night City, if you want to get the Yakuza involved, um, there's those movies to watch from a, a, a background. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's Japanese noir, uh, and like any noir, it fits perfectly within your cyberpunk inspiration. Yep. Um. Yeah, so the next section is Life Path, which was a nice inclusion. <clears throat> Eurosurfs kind of did it, but not to the extent um, uh, this book did. Yeah. I I loved the inclusion of country-specific life paths. Um, because the cultures, even within Asia, are so wildly different from each other it made perfect sense um and if you had if you had a character or characters that were coming from these cultures it was a really nice touch to add yes uh and also one thing it, it kind of brought up was education and how the school system uh works and it kind of inspired me with this section to create my own kind of um, pre-learning or, or, or what did you do with your youth, right? And, and the skill points you got. So in, in yeah. my, in one of my um, custom rule sets on my site, I actually created, you know, the various backgrounds and some skills that you would pick up. I mean, they're, they're not crazy skills, right? They're skills that I've often seen players not take that they should take just to give them a kind of background. Like, I've noticed a lot of characters never take, you know, general knowledge education, right? Um, unless it's a career path skill. And um, I've never played a character that didn't have that. Why? Because my characters like to read and write. <laughs> I, I, I understand. You know, you, you as a as a player would take skills like that, like I would too, right? Because I want to flesh out my character a little more. But I've also noticed 
you know, especially with power gamers, they often are drawn to, hey, what skills are going to yeah, am I going to use who in a game? Swimming. <laughs> exactly. So, this is kind of what inspired me to include or, or come up with a system in which you actually gain skills you would have learned from your life path, right? As a growing up or as a teenager. Um, but yeah, it, it was, what, it's nice to see what's how crazy, it's done. What's crazy to me is how much more in-depth and bigger the life path is, uh, especially for the for Japan and Korea, than even the 2020 sourcebook life path. It's it's well, like twice the size. Well, there's what two or three and pages more of just about the school system, <laughs> which yeah, yeah, you know, uh, Japan is I know has that crazy uh, system for the school, and you know you need <laughs> to be accepted, and the, the the testing that kids get. And this is just pulling from, you know, the real life. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, there's very little. Compared to, like, Western schools, it's, it's, it's much more focused. It's much more, uh, like, really, kids' lives revolve around schools and, um, there's there's a sense of pride that one takes that, that like a a Japanese or Korean person would take in their in their school career that like even even Western like football players and cheerleaders just it, it kind of they kind of pale in comparison at, at the amount of school pride that goes on at least. I could be completely wrong about that. That's that's from a Western point of view, looking in at, at just what I've been exposed to. Yep. Uh, but from what I've been explained to uh, by my Japanese friends and by what I've seen and read and, like I said, been exposed to, that really seems to be the case. Yeah. So. Um, and it does go into. The the Korean path as well. So <clears throat> I did not do the school system in my character creator, so this is a product you'll have to buy to to really get in depth into the the whole system that, that they spell out. Um which actually it, it, Go ahead. I was gonna say if you play Cyber Generation uh, the idea of this school life path uh, would be invaluable. Mm. Definitely. Um, so moving along, we get into the next country, which is Korea or the United Korea. So the expectation was Korea would be united by the 2020. Yeah, that's one of those dated 
dated things that, yep. you know, seemed realistic in the 90s. Uh, I mean, it could happen. It, 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 it could happen. It's not likely to. But, well. Yeah. Until uh, North Korea's family finally fails. <laughs> but the one thing that I found well, interesting about... Well, go ahead. I was just going to say, in, in the 90s, um, Korea was kind of forgotten. Uh, like, we just didn't... We didn't talk about it. There wasn't a whole lot of media coming out of Korea at the time. Uh, we knew that, you know, North and South were at odds. Um, but there wasn't... We were getting zero information about North Korea. And South Korea was just kind of in Japan's shadow, which is, I think, why they merged the two life paths and... Uh, like after the Korean War, Korea just kind of, I don't know if it's accurate to say that they used a similar model uh, for uh, modernization as Japan, but it, it certainly seems that way from like a Western. Yep. Yeah, so um, the other thing about this chapter is it actually is a interview, or the majority of it is an interview between uh, WNS and uh, Kim Pak Song. Or, sorry. Yeah, you're saying that about, that about as well as I can. Who is, uh, I think he's the leader? Me? Nope. Actually, he's speaking to. Oh man, I haven't read this in a while. Ah, she. He is. So the interviewer from WNS is actually talking to a fixer called Miss Sun. Um, in which he re rel uh, relates uh, Korea as it is. <clears throat> Yeah, it's an interesting take. It's kind of a divergence from the way the rest of the book is handled. Yeah. Which is... Yeah. Yeah. Again, kind of a weird editing decision, but it, it works. Yep. Again, it breaks into the uh, po uh, politics, the government, uh, a little about, a little bit about, you know, the nation as in general. Uh, talks a little bit about Seoul, again, it gets into the Zabatsus, who are also in Korea. Um, and like I said, if you're looking for uh, additional uh, corporations that aren't well known, uh, there's a few here. Uh, and if you're looking for a specific, like, uh, arms manufacturer, electronics, and cyberware, there is a corporation called Songan uh, Industries. Um, oh, everything just froze up on me. Yeah, no worries. So I think we're going to 
speed up along because we're already uh, 20 minutes in it, or sorry, we're already an hour and a hour half, and a half, half in. in. Um, so we might want to just uh, skip over some things and just push forward to uh, to talk about. Where is this? There it is. So uh, again, Korea. You have some uh, corporations that it gets into. It talks about the navy and the army there. Uh, a little yeah, bit about the weapons. Yeah, Korea is given like a, Korean has a real military, <laughs> which. Yep. Yeah. And, and similar layout to the previous uh, chapter with Japan. The only thing that you don't have is the life path, but I think they kind of combined the Korean life path with uh, Japan. Japanese, yeah, yeah, section, and then we get into China. Um, of course, China is still communist, so I don't see too much difference between <laughs> the '90s uh, China and the 2020 China. Um, it is still kind of a authoritarian. Um, I, I don't. It does not show china as the economic powerhouse it is today uh like no it, again kind of short-sighted yeah well again you know I, I think the whole concept of the 90s was communism is never gonna never going to take in the capitalist attitude right uh well, plus at the time, you know, information out of China, uh, outside of like Hong Kong movies, just it 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 came out at a trickle. Yeah. Um, now we knew plenty about Hong Kong because at the time it was a British colony, but outside of that, uh, everybody kind of viewed the entirety of China as being this like rural rural mess. And even in uh, in this section, it, it doesn't go too much. It kind of gives very broad brushstrokes of China in the various regions. Uh, so it doesn't really get too much into how China works. You know, so that lack of information definitely carries over into this chapter. Uh However, at the <clears throat> end of this chapter, when it gets into Hong Kong, that's an interesting read. Um, yeah. So, Hong Kong. I like that. I like that Kowloon, uh, like the walled city, still exists in the in in the twenty twenty universe. Yeah. Um, that's always been such a fascinating uh, subject for me. Like, yeah. Like that is your real deal combat zone, like just giant lawless mega block. Well, the whole thing with with Hong Kong is, you know, it rebelled against China and the corporations, as well as the triads, fought against mainland China uh, to continue their independence after the British gave gave it up. Yeah. Um, 
and just how China or Hong Kong kind of turned into, I would say, a little bit like Beirut, and uh, that it's kind of a, a bit of a war zone. A very wealthy war zone. Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, like Hong Kong gets that gets a, a, a very large treatment and it's very interesting what they've done with it uh taiwan gets its own write-up um i would have liked to have seen uh singapore treated i don't know if respectfully as respectfully is the right word but uh it's definitely worth reading and uh Yeah, some of the larger corporations are based out of Taiwan, like Kang Tao. Um, so if that's one of the focuses of your campaign, this this book is going to be valuable to you just for that alone. Yep. And of course, like all the other sections, they go into detail about the various, you know, roles within uh, China. Uh, and it gets its own it, it gets its own life path as well its life path is really like Chinese specific is only one page uh, which is kind of weird after like the like eight pages of life path that Japan got but again we just didn't know a whole lot like there wasn't a whole lot of information about China coming out into the West at the time. And that really holds true for most of Asia. Yes. The uh, authors of this book really took on a monumental task trying to do this and trying to fit the information that they could into... Uh, it's not a small source book by any stretch, but it's not a large one either, so... Authors. <laughs> Authors, yeah. Yeah, and they had research assistants, so. Um, and then the next chapter is Southeast Asia, which kind of um, takes up all of the other states uh, within South Asia, which include Malaysia, Java, Thailand, Indonesia, Vietnam. Burma. Yep. Yeah, Philippines. Well, Basically everything, Philippines. every every other Asian nation out there, except India. I don't know why <laughs> India gets the short shift in this book. But. Well, again, in the '90s, India was not not the powerhouse that you, it is now today, especially when it comes. Well, I mean, to... even if it's not the powerhouse, it's still like a huge area. Like Indian India and Pakistan were are huge and yeah. know, Be, they just get kind of ignored and okay. being a third of the world population you would think they would have gotten yeah, the treatment something but no i'm afraid not so but yeah the rest all these countries get a page or two of description um 
it is I think Thailand gets three, four, something like that. Singapore gets a really small amount. Uh actually, I guess not that small. It's it's like four or five pages. Uh three pages. Um regardless, compared to, you know, Asia, China or Japan, China, and Korea, all the other countries get to short share. Yep. Except Australia. Yeah. Well, I mean, we knew a lot about Australia. It was for all. I mean, it's it's a Western country. Yep. It just happens to fall into the Pacific Rim. And there's there's interesting information in all these uh, in all the smaller country descriptions. It's just. The idea that they, even with the life path, they just kind of meld all these smaller nations into one soup and just give you that. It could have, they could have made the book easily twice the size, I think, and people, just personal preference. I would have liked to have seen more. In the next section, um, which is basically the game rules. Uh, which takes up about 28 pages. And this book is famous and famous (laughs) for these rules, Uh, which basically is an expansion on the martial arts rules for Cyberpunk 2020. Um, There are really two camps about this. Uh, There are people who really liked using martial arts in their games, and this came as a welcome addition uh, it kind of it added added uh, new maneuvers to the martial arts table, like uh, strike cast and ram, um, and it opened up the idea of you know weapon training along with your martial arts. So uh, you can now use your martial art uh, skill and bonuses to damage when using martial arts based weapons that was and then there are people who hate that who just wanted it to be who just prefer the 2020 uh, more simple rules as written Uh, and it's there too you're either solidly in one camp or the other I myself uh embraced the martial arts expansion in this book uh, and then expanded on it with my own master martial arts list. Uh, you can find it on Data Fortress 2020. There's a there's the 2020 version of it and then there's the interlocked in unlimited version of it. Uh, your tastes are going to vary. Yes. Um and, and there's a lot of people who just didn't like these rules because they were too overpowered. Uh, and I kind of agree with some of it, but I also see this as another tool, <clears throat> A, for the players or for the GM, to kind of thwart the whole armor escalation, right? So one of the problems with Cyberpunk Facebook 
is you get more and more SP, which means firearms are no longer effective. This book kind of shows you martial arts. Don't care how much armor you have. You are going to get owned (laughs) by a martial artist. Well, plus, I mean, you're right. Uh, There were a lot of problems with Cyberpunk 2020 and and better and better armament, bigger and bigger guns, and back and forth with that. Uh, but in a in like if you're using this source book and you're running your game out of most of Asia, you know handguns are illegal for most citizens to have. Yeah. Uh, so it becomes a very melee based. Uh, environment and uh having these martial arts rules uh gave more freedom for that more excitement with the combat um as far as as far as it being overpowered i can see that argument uh i mean i can see that argument so well that with interlock unlimited i changed the uh the martial arts damage bonus it's now half your level um because I like kung fu fighting, uh, as opposed to you know, like a Ricky O type thing where you, you punch somebody once in the head and their fucking head explodes and that's the end of the combat. One one shot, one kill. That that became old for me really quick. Uh, so there are ways to fix it, um, and it also like it. Uh, another contention people have is that it adds like all sorts of weird side things to the martial arts, like, like chiropractic and, uh, you know, your martial arts damage helps you heal yourself and whatnot, or you're not, not your martial arts damage, but your martial arts in general, they help heal. And there's all that. Uh, and I can see where that just becomes a little much, um, So yeah, it like I said, there's two camps. There's people who love it, there's people who hate it. Yep. Uh yeah, and I think the one thing that is annoying is that now well, it's hard to say, right? It, because you can add your martial arts to weapon damage, it kind of bumped up melee weapons to be uh, on par with even firearms, right? Because I mean, honestly, they should be. Like a sword is going to do much more damage to you than a bullet. True, but if you're in armor, you're not going to take that much damage. But as a martial artist, you would know where to strike in the armor. Where are the weak points? You know. I mean, I, I've said it before. Uh, Twenty twenty rules is written where. Melee and fencing are two entirely separate skills, and fencing is just around using a sword, um, which they treat as being, I guess, more difficult than any other martial art or any other melee weapon. But with the melee skill, I can pick up a three-sectional staff and just go to town. Like, it doesn't... There never should have been a separation between melee and fencing. And in fact, uh, like, fencing as a martial art makes more sense 
martial arts are supposed to be trained hand-to-hand fighting or melee fighting whereas uh if you're going to have a separate melee skill that's really it's like brawl at that point it's just untrained i pick up a stick and whack it with it um so this kind of this kind of evened that out a little bit yes or, or at least paved the road for what i did with interlock unlimited this book went there i would have never never thought of it that way probably the other thing it introduced was uh mono edge as an additive to your bladed weapons so it actually improves Mm. your blade weapons by a d6 which Turned yeah. wolvers into a killing machine if you had uh, martial arts. In- oh, it turned any bladed weapon into a killing machine because the biggest problem with mono blades is that on a successful parry, they break, they shatter. True. Uh, whereas this, you've still got the steel sh- uh, main body of, you know, your sword or your or whatever. It just has like a a mono weapon or a mono edge so even if the edge shatters it's still a viable weapon yep um and the one thing i don't like about this section is the amount of martial art weapons they list uh yes they they cover everything but man it's 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 a lot to take in. It's it's a lot. It it, it is, and uh, some of it's kind of weird as, as to what it's going to uh, what it's going to relate to. Yeah. Um. Like the only thing that gets combat knife as as a as a listed martial art is Sambo, like the Russian wrestling, like not Arasakate, not, you know, <clears throat> not, uh, not karate, not anything other than Sambo. It, it's really weird. Um, and the only thing that gets to use uh, katanas is ninjutsu of all things. Um, it, it's it's a it's a very like I I think they kind of dropped the ball on uh, what weapons can be used by what martial arts. Yep. Personally. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, the this section roll runs out with the different uh, roles. So introduce some, or reprints some old roles, uh, specifically from When Gravity Fails and Hardwire. So if you didn't pick those yeah. up, you can actually continue to play them. I mean, they're very generic roles, like uh, private investigator, and- administrator, spy pirate <laughs> and they're updated for yeah. you know 2020 itself uh yes like hardwired and when gravity fails really 
they were kind of their own system. Like they used Interlock as a base, but they kind of went off on their own tangents. Uh, so it being uh, rewritten for 2020 was a nice touch. Yep. Um, and then it gets into Shaman, which is a completely new role, and it takes an alternative to combat sense for some of the uh, Asian uh, types of solos, which... There's for really shaman? Not, well, no. Shaman I mean, has its own career path. Yeah, shamans are like a, a, a rocker boy variant. Yeah, what I'm saying is, so for from a solo point of view, right, you have the shinobi and oh, yeah, the yeah, right. tatsujin, right? Or tatsujin. Um, yeah, no, tatsujin is yeah. correct, I believe. So the, the shinobi... Um, pretty heinous <laughs> so they get the the combat sent bonus to their martial arts ninjutsu which i would not give them a bonus to their damage from combat sense height evade and stealth mm. uh which yeah that's kind of taking it to the next level of over op it's it's yeah uh i'll agree with you on that like uh ninjas are cool but this takes a very Shoko Sugi approach to, to ninjas. Yeah. Um, where they're just, they're just a bit over the top. Just, just, a, just a hair, just a tad, just like, uh, in spe- what is, what, is, what is a tad? Well, in space terms, it's about a million miles. Um, yeah, the, the, the Shinobi and the Tatsujin, are very martial arts centric, overpowered uh, roles that they give a lot of detail to, but at the end of the day, they're they're overpowered, and uh, they don't really, as presented in this book, they don't really fall in well with the rest of the cyberpunk ethos. Yep. So that's about it for this book. Um, I know you thought we were going to do it in two parts, but we crammed through it. Yeah. I mean, we, well, I, we did skip uh, pretty much all of uh, Southeast Asia and Australia. Uh, True. But, I mean, if you want to know about those, I highly recommend buying the book. I yes. recommend buying the book anyway. Like I said, most of the martial arts stuff I, I am in favor of. Uh, I'm definitely in favor of the added uh, maneuvers and treating uh, melee weapons as uh, something you can train in with martial arts. I would eliminate... Uh, specific weapons going into the martial arts um, for a lot of it, uh, especially basic melee weapons. Like I figure, I feel like basic melee weapons are going to be taught by most trained martial arts. Um, sure, you can get into some very specific stuff like 
katanas obviously aren't going to be really well trained outside of the Japanese martial arts. But I think that whole aspect could just be like base it on the country of origin as to, you know, which weapons you're going to realistically find training or commonly find training with, as it were. Uh, like China is going to get the more traditional Kung Fu type weapons. Uh, but then again, a lot of Asian weapons, like a lot of those weapons are just prevalent throughout Asia. They're just given different names. Yes. But yeah, I definitely recommend this book. It's uh, I liked it more than Eurosource. I definitely liked it more than uh, The Rough Guide to the UK. Uh, I think it could have been much more in-depth. Uh, if it had been twice the size, uh, I would have been in hog heaven with it. Uh, but as it is, it's really the only glimpse into Asia that you get in the cyberpunk franchise. Yep. Yep. And, I mean, <clears throat> I consider it a, a, kind of a, a must-have. Um Yeah. Just because I, li I like the, the martial arts rules. And I know some people didn't care for them, but they are, like I said, they, they're leverage to prevent the whole uh, armor creep. Um, to just make the players understand, or the GM, <laughs> that, you know, it doesn't matter how much armor you have. Um there's I mean, always I, a way to thwart it. Yeah. I know after this book came out, um, the the news groups, and I'm really dating myself here by even mentioning them, uh, like the Cyberpunk FRP news group uh, was full of stories of GMs saying that uh, we've moved to a more, like, non-firearm, non-commonly used firearm. Instead, we're going to go with martial arts in our campaigns. Uh, like, that was a big trend after this book came out. Um, yep. Because it was a much more even playing field. Yes. Honor became a big thing, uh, like using firearms in a lot of people's games suddenly became like extremely dishonorable and considered kind of cowardly. Uh, now, granted, it was also like other people's games were like firearms gung ho, and that was still the majority. But before this book came out, you weren't really seeing. So it opened up a whole new avenue of uh, GM styles and game style. Yep. Definitely. Alright, so I think it's about it. We're kind of almost on time, so... I will say, I, uh, as cringy as it may seem in today's world, I really kind of wanted to uh, a poster of the, the back cover of this, of the image on the back cover. It just, it very much appealed to like my 20 year old sensibilities. 
You mean your base male uh, intuition? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, a little bit of fan service. Um, may not be popular these days. Yeah, I still have a bit of appreciation. All right, so. Uh, but yeah. That's about it. Um, closing out. Uh, appreciate everyone uh, hanging out with us. Uh, I, we love the uh, questions you guys pr proposed in the beginning. I hope the, our advice helped. Um, by all means, you can always ask us questions while we're ranting and raving about whatever we're, we're talking about. Um, and if we have a guest on, if you have any questions for them, you know, please put them in uh, the Twitch chat. And yeah, so we will be doing a show in two weeks, which is the third Wednesday of July. However, the first Wednesday of August, uh, I will be in Gen Con. So uh, we will not be doing a show or maybe we'll see what we can do. I, I'm not sure if I can do a live show. Um, but we do, we're, we're reaching out to other people to, uh, do an interview, hopefully with, uh, Gen Con, I'll make a few more contacts. We can get some, uh, other cyberpunk, uh, notoriety onto, uh, our stream and, um, go from there. May have to take some burlap sacks and, and, and grab them, <laughs> the, grab them back and like, force the interview we'll, or we'll figure something out. Or I gotta put a an expense itinerary. A, a teary, bleh, I can't even speak. Um, put some uh, uh, expense budget towards uh, wooing some of these people into bribery. Yeah, I hear booze works well. Yes. So um, supposedly Dave Ackerman's going to be there. So I'm going to try to see if I can get him to agree to hang out with us. Um, I don't know if yeah. Mike's going to be at the We've been talking to him for a while, so. Yeah, I like don't. Some first-person face-to-face. Yeah, I don't know if and Mike is going to be there. Um, we'll see. I hopefully he is, and I can chat with him. Um, Worst-case scenarios, I do an interview one-on-one -on -one with him. Um, I'll see if I can record it. If I do. But we'll see if we can try to get him on as well. Also going to be uh, hanging out with um, Rob uh, Mulligan, our, 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 our liege and lord our of, uh, yeah. of Cybernation Uncensored. Uh, so we're going to, hopefully I'm going to hang out with him for a few times. Um, I think there's kind of like a possible meetup going to be planned uh, at Gen Con, so... Definitely would like to hang out with you. Uh, also, I, my wife created a bunch of stickers. So I have stickers of this show as well as uh, of my logo that I'll, if you're looking, if you're a sticker collector, I got quite a few. So if you see me, uh, by all means, ask me for a sticker and I will give you it. I will rain stickers on you. Um, other than that, uh, I am CyberSmiley. You can check me out at CyberSmiley.net. I haven't done too much updates to my site of late. I really need to get motivated to do some things there um, to make uh, myself a little more relevant, especially with uh, some of the stuff that's come out with the DLCs uh, and try to get 
get some uh, automation done for for those uh, in my site so it helps you with your game uh, I am also have my own discord um, which you can find or have a link on my site to also I'm on bunch of different discords uh, <clears throat> that are related to cyberpunk um some that aren't even related to cyberpunk uh so if if you f see a cyber smiley misspelled of course uh it's probably me i also peruse reddit on an occasional basis uh the uh, cyberpunk 2020 thread as well as the cyberpunk red thread i don't do too much other social media i'm afraid so that's it for me wisdom all right i am wisdom triple zero uh otherwise known as derek vernier i run data fortress 2020 the largest most comprehensive uh cyberpunk 2020 site that exists out there uh and i have since 1996. um i run a facebook group called uh Oddly enough, Data Fortress 2020. I also am present and uh, aware on both the uh, Cyberpunk 2020 Facebook group as well as CyberNation Uncensored. Um, I don't hang out on Discord as much as I probably should, although I can be reached there. Uh, I hang out on the Cyberpunk 2020 related Reddit threads and the cyberpunk red ones um so i can be reached there as well if you have if you have comments questions or complaints please get a hold of us either through our our websites or one of these venues uh we love hearing from you uh we do our shows every first and third wednesday of the month other than of course you know the first week of august uh for gen con uh, i won't be there but I'm supporting Smiley and his endeavors. Um, yeah, again, we absolutely love hearing from you. We'd like to thank uh, CyberNation Uncensored for hosting us. Uh, this show will, this show, along with all of our past shows, are, is going to be available on YouTube uh, on the CyberNation Uncensored channel under Tales from the Forlorn Dopes. Um, and we very much look forward to talking to you again in two weeks. Yep. Thanks, everyone. Absolutely. And we are going to find a button. All right. Till next time, boys. Bye. Adieu. Cyber Nation on